Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, the culmination of the gospel. I'm going to read through those verses, follow along in your Bibles, or if you don't, just listen as I read it. Don't have the Bible, that's fine, you can just listen. But here's what the word says. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people, and again, Praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The first two verses of this chapter are a summation of what we considered in Romans chapter 14. To not quarrel over disputable matters, but instead to love and please our neighbors, and to love and please our brothers and our sisters, to build up our brothers and our sisters, and not to tear them down. So those first two verses really are bringing us or helping us to remember what we looked at in the previous weeks. But from the next few verses, so Romans chapter 14 when we read it, it began, it was anchored by, it began and ended with a focus on faith. It is by faith that we act in love. That's what Romans 14 was telling us. And Romans 14 ended by saying, anything that is not from faith is sin. So that that was a clear theme, a clear message. There is a similar anchor word in Romans chapter 15, verses 3 through 13, what we just read. And if you haven't already heard that or seen that, that word is hope. Paul uses the directive for us to please our neighbors as a means of pointing to Jesus' example of not pleasing himself, but instead of pleasing God. He says Jesus didn't just live to please himself. He lived to please God. 
And so he's pointing to that as our example. And then Paul goes through and quotes a number of scriptures from Psalm 69, verse 9, from 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50, from Psalm 18, verse 49, from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, from Psalm 117, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. He's quoting these scriptures. Why? To show that Jesus suffered shame and ridicule. He brought the Gentiles into the family of God through his death. And he established the rule of the kingdom of God, all of this in fulfillment of the promises of God to the patriarchs. He says all those things that were written were written so that we would know what God had said in the past, what he had promised, what he said will happen. And when he made that promise, oh, in Jesus, all of those things were fulfilled. And so Paul is quoting scripture after scripture after scripture just to let us know, oh, we have joy, we have hope, we have this peace that guards us. Why? Because God has fulfilled all these things. God has given us much to be rejoicing in. He has fulfilled the promises that he made to the patriarchs. And in fulfilling these promises and prophecies of what God had ordained even before the creation of the world, Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation, the culmination of the gospel gives us hope in four distinct ways. Now, when I say the culmination of the gospel, and we say, well, we are still living here on the earth 2,000 years after Jesus did this. Well, everything that comes after the cross is just a consequence of the cross. There's nothing new that is taking place. Jesus completed it all. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. So from the time that it was finished, we're still alive today, 2,000 years later, which just means that we're living in the consequence of the cross. We're not awaiting something else to take place. We're not awaiting Jesus to come back to die for our sins again. He did it all. And so the culmination of the gospel actually took place 2,000 years ago. We're just living in the consequence, in the after effect. And so we await Jesus returning when he will fulfill all that he has promised. But when I talk about this and I say there are four distinct ways in this passage that we're reading in Romans that points to that culmination of the gospel, I'll move very quickly through these four points because these are familiar points. These are points that we have been seeing through the the earlier chapters in Romans and in other scriptures. So I'll move quickly through these four points because I want this morning to get to a point of application. And I want for us to be able to take this opportunity this morning to say, what do I do in response to this word? How do I come to the Lord and allow this word to take heart, take root in my heart, to take root in my life and to cause me to do something in response? So, the four points of application or the four points that we want to pay attention to, the distinct ways that we are receiving this hope of God, the scriptures teach endurance and provide encouragement which gives us hope. The scriptures teach endurance and provide encouragement which gives us hope. The study of scripture is never in vain. Receiving the word of God in our hearts revives and refreshes the soul. 
You know this as experience, and if you've never experienced it, I, I, I encourage you, I challenge you. The Bible describes itself as fresh, living water that refreshes us. When we are hungering and thirsting, when we're panting as the deer for the waters, the Bible says that the word of God, oh, it's just wonderfully refreshing. The scripture, when we receive it, it, it is life-giving. But quite importantly, knowing and living by the good news, the gospel of the word of God, it teaches us to endure and produces or provides encouragement. What is it that is getting you down? What is it that even today when you come into the church and it is a celebratory event, but yet in your mind there's something that is affecting you, that is holding you, maybe some loss, maybe something else, maybe some fear of what is about to happen in the future, maybe some pain from the past. What is it that, that affects you? What is it that, that it that comes up in your mind? And in the middle of that, I want to tell you, that the word of God, the word of God gives us the means by which we can endure. Are you feeling weak and alone? It gives us encouragement. The word of God lets us know that we're not alone, that the Lord is with us, that there is, and he has joined us to his body, which means that there are brothers and sisters that we can be in communion and in fellowship with. And so the word of God, the Word of God continues to remind us. It continues to tell us how Jesus fulfilled the Scriptures. It causes us to remember the promises of God. And as we remember what God has said, oh, we say, oh, Lord God, let this Word, let your Word continue to empower me to endure. The life on this earth is short, but... The Bible says there is great hardship in this life. And to endure this life, we need the endurance of God and the encouragement that he provides. And so when that word of God encourages us to press in closer to the Lord, when that word of God dwells richly in us, oh, let hope arise. The second thing is that when we think According to the mind of Christ, it gives us hope. When we think according to the mind of Christ, it gives us hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 tells us that we have the mind of Christ. And sometimes you may be thinking about your own thoughts and maybe certainly about the thoughts of others around you. I don't think they have the mind of Christ. Right? But... The Bible is declaring what is our reality as we come into relationship with him. And it says, when we believe and accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, when we believe and accept that he rose from the tomb, victorious over death, to give us eternal life, when we believe and accept that one day Christ Jesus will return for us, and when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, not only are we accepted into the family of God, we begin to think as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, we begin to think according to the mind of Christ. We begin to have the same attitude towards others and accept others just as Christ accepted us. We start to think differently. 
We start to deal with people differently. All those barriers, all those prejudices, all those discriminations, all those things start to fade away when we start to look at people and accept them the way that Christ Jesus accepted us. We start to see things differently about the people that we are with. And when we start to see that, when we start to think in those ways, when we think with the mind of Christ that is in us, then as we are beginning to share with each other what we have freely received ourselves, we start to come into unity. That's what this passage is telling us. And what is that unity for? What is it that we are being united in? We are being united in our worship and praise and giving glory to God the Father. We're coming to him with praise and thanksgiving and saying, Oh God, I thank you. I thank you that I am united with my brothers and sisters to worship you. We join with all the heavenly hosts and we sing your praise. We thank you, God, that we can worship you. And so when we accept others, when we unite with them, when we have this mind of Christ, oh, hope arises. Third, we trust in God, which gives us hope. We trust in God. And that gives us hope. Now, verse 13 here that we read tells us that God fills us with all joy and peace when we trust in him. I mean, think about that. Not partial, not in some circumstances, not with regard to some areas of your life, that God fills us with all Joy and, not or, not or, take, you know, I can, you can have one or the other, take your pick. No, God gives us joy and peace when we trust in him. Now, look, I'm, let's be clear about this. The Bible is not telling us to trust in our ability to be heard. I have a relationship with God. I can pray well. I know that God has answered my prayers in the past. I trust in my ability to be heard by God. I am his child, and so on. No, actually the Bible's not telling us to do that. That may be true. You may have experienced all of that. But the Bible's saying trust in God. The Bible's also not telling us to trust in the outcome. I see the result. I see what God is doing. Therefore, I will trust in him. No, trust in him regardless of the outcome. Trust in him regardless of whether you understand why it happened or not. Trust in him when you say, Lord God, whether I'm thrown into the flames or not, I will trust in you. I will trust in God. And then the Bible is not telling us to trust in the method. You do these particular things in this way, on this date, with these people, then God will fill you with joy and peace. No, he doesn't give us that method. He says, you trust in me. You depend on me. You make sure that you're listening to me regularly. You don't rely on the methods that you know, on the things that you have, on your culture, on your tradition, on your practices. You rely on me. You are dependent on me. You trust in me. And when we trust in God, when we trust in God, God fills us with joy that is our strength and peace that guards our hearts and minds. When we trust in God, the God of hope, that's how he's identified here. The God of hope, 
then we can't help but be transformed into his likeness, the likeness of our Father, so that we are also filled with hope. And finally, I want to make this point to you. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us hope. This is what the Bible is telling us here, right? We come to the Lord, and in all these ways, through the scriptures, through the ways in which we receive the mind of Christ, through the trust that we have in God himself, we get hope. And then finally, Paul says here, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us hope. Jesus rose from the dead to demonstrate his power over death and the grave. He defeated sin, suffering, shame, death, and the devil. But he also rose from the dead so that he could go to the Father and send us the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it is good for you that I'm going away. You wouldn't think that, but he said it and now we experience it and we say, oh, it, it's true. Because Jesus said, when I go to the Father, I will send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is your comforter, who is your teacher, who is your source of power, who is your agent of transformation, who is the enabler of spiritual gifts, who is the illuminator of truth, and the Holy Spirit who is your encourager. He will be poured out on all flesh. Unlike Jesus walking physically in one place in the earth, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh all over the world. And Jesus said, this is for you. This is for your benefit. This is for your, for your good. And I want you to notice that almost every time the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit, it's almost always using terms of abundance. Not a measure, but abundance. And so when we invite the Holy Spirit to work in us, to work in us everything that he wants to, everything that he will, when we appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit to run with patient endurance the race that is set before us, this passage of scripture so wonderfully says, we will overflow with hope. It's not just that hope rises, that we're filled with hope, that we know the God of hope, but now, listen to this, we will overflow with hope. Not just on a day, not just for a period, not just for some circumstances, but all of our days we would overflow, abundant, abundant hope. Well, all of that brings us to this point of application because I want to spend some time to say we want to respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by living in hope. We know that biblical hope is not wishful thinking as the world defines it. It's not, I hope it this happens. I hope. That's the way that the word will use that word. I hope this happens. That's not the way that the Bible speaks of it. The way that the Bible speaks of it, hope that the God of hope gives us is eager expectant, faith-based anticipation that what the Lord has promised, he will fulfill. It's eager expectation. It's not wishful thinking. 
Our hope in God is to say, I am eagerly anticipating that that which the Lord has said will happen, will happen. That's the difference. And so even as we deal with the deaths of friends and family, as we remember the death of Jesus, as we go through those silent days, Jesus died. And you know, on that day just before he was resurrected, nobody was hearing from God. God didn't say, don't worry, don't worry, tomorrow morning, you know, he's risen. It was just silent. And we go through those silent days in between where we don't know, where we are not sure, where we're not at peace and at rest. But even as we deal with all of those days, I want to remember, I want to remind you that on this Resurrection Sunday, our hope is best expressed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, which says this. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words of hope. Put your hope in God. Every Sunday morning, I remind us as a church that we want to die to self and to be raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. That is possible only because Christ rose from the dead. And this morning as a point of application, even as Micah comes and he's going to start to play that song that we sang before, but he's going to start to play that in the background. This morning as a point of application, this, we are going to take some time by faith to declare our hope in God. In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you, each of you, to make a declaration. On Resurrection Sunday, it's, no, it's not enough that you would just come and that you'd sit in a service, you may hear something, and maybe you're even saying, oh, that was good to hear. But I want to take this opportunity that we would, before we leave from here, declare this hope of the Lord. And here's how we're going to do this. Think about what the Lord has done for you. Think about what is going on in your lives. Think about what you need to declare hope of God over. Maybe it's over some situation that you're not sure how it will be resolved. Maybe it's over a relationship. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. 
Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's uh, somebody else. Something in a relationship. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's something else that's going on in your life and you're concerned, you're anxious, you're thinking, what will I do about this? How will I handle this? The Bible gives us hope so that we can say, because Jesus rose from the dead, I declare God's hope over this situation. So this, just for a few minutes, I want you to take some time and to think about those things in your mind. And then, when you're ready, I want for us to just get up and go find somebody else. Maybe you'll find your spouse sitting right next to you that you want to say this to. Maybe it's somebody else across the room. But let the Holy Spirit lead you that you would go find somebody else this morning. And you would say to them, because Jesus rose from the dead. And I encourage you to use these words. Because when you declare these words out of your mouth and you hear them with your own ears. And you confirm them, you affirm them with your heart. Oh, you declare truth. And you declare hope. And you declare by faith. You're saying, Jesus, because you rose from the dead. I declare hope over this specific situation in my life. I declare hope for my marriage. I declare hope for my child and that relationship that is, a, that is strained. I declare hope over my circumstances and my finances. I declare hope over my grief and my loss and how you, Lord, will restore me. Oh, I want you to take this opportunity to go find somebody and declare because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus rose from the dead, I declare, I make this statement in faith. Whenever you're ready to, just stand up on your feet, go find somebody. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. But I encourage you, take a minute, go declare this to somebody else.